Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is the Skip Bayless Show, episode 34. This is everything I cannot share with you during the two and a half hour go for the throat debate show known as Undisputed. In this episode, number 34, I will go so, so much deeper than I could share with you on TV over what Shannon Sharp and I recently got into, over whether Tom Brady does get a pass for his on-field behavior that other star black quarterbacks would not get. I will also tell you why I am hoping, as a Cowboy fanatic, I am hoping against hope for a Cowboy quarterback quandary sooner than later. And I will, as always, answer your questions. First off, about my wife Ernestine's secret IG post last Sunday. And your questions about what music I listen to when I work out. And your question about what Sundays are like when I don't have my Dallas Cowboys playing on an NFL Sunday. But first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. Allow me, as I just mentioned, to go much, much deeper into an issue Shannon Sharp and I got into the other day on Undisputed, got heated about on Undisputed on live national TV. Shannon Sharp began by saying that Tom Brady gets away with throwing helmets and throwing tablets on the sideline and screaming at teammates, coaches, opponents, All because all that is viewed as, quote-unquote, being a competitor. Then Shannon said, if star black quarterbacks started throwing helmets or tablets or screaming at teammates or at coaches or at opponents, they would be vilified and ultimately condemned by many in the media, most white members of the media, if not white members on Twitter. As examples, 
Shannon pointed out, what if Lamar Jackson, what if Cam Newton, what if these these level of black star quarterbacks behave the way Tom Brady gets away with behaving? And he had a point, but only to a point. Okay, let's get this out of the way up front. I will certainly, obviously give you racism is still alive in hell in our country, the United States of America. Obviously, there's a certain segment of white America that will still come down harder on black players than white players just because of their skin color. You know it, I know it, sad but true. And because I do, on live national TV, criticize black players as well as white players, and do I ever criticize white players, see Aaron Rodgers, see Carson Wentz, see Jimmy Garoppolo, see Kirk Cousins, see Ryan Tannehill, I, I could go on and on. But because I do criticize black as well as white players, I'm sure there's a segment out there in black America that condemns me as a racist just because of my skin color. That's just the way it is. It's sad, but it's true. I get it. But before I proceed, just for the record, allow me to flash back briefly to my younger days in this business, the media business. I was 24 years old working for the LA Times out here in Los Angeles. This was 1977. I had the honor and privilege of spending an entire week in Grambling, Louisiana at Grambling State University with a young man by the name of Doug Williams. Silly me, I went all the way from LA to Grambling via, as they call it, Monroe, Louisiana because I thought, silly me, that Doug Williams would become the first black quarterback drafted number one overall in the NFL draft. Silly me. Doug's coach, the great Eddie Robinson, Coach Rob, as everyone called him, at the end of that week actually asked me to speak to the team. I think it's the only time I've ever been nervous while speaking publicly, but I was honored and I spoke my heart. And then I returned to Los Angeles, continued to research my story on Doug Williams, called several GMs to ask about Doug Williams' draft stock. One told me, and I quote, he just doesn't have the mental capabilities to play quarterback at our level. I used that quote anonymously in the story that I wrote for the LA Times just to demonstrate how deeply rooted that racist mindset was that Doug Williams was up against. In what then became the 1978 draft, Doug Williams fell all the way to 17th. He went in the first round, but he went 17th overall, picked by the Buccaneers. And of course, a little later in his career, he became the first black quarterback ever to win a Super Bowl for Washington. 
what a breakthrough that day was, and I was there in San Diego for that Super Bowl. It took a while, but through the years, more and more black quarterbacks obviously has been have been taken higher and higher in the draft. Finally, 2001, Michael Vick was the first to go number one overall. That took a while. But Cam went first overall, and Jameis went first, and Kyler went first, and who knows, maybe next year either C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young will go first overall in the NFL draft. Obviously, Lamar won an MVP. Patrick Holmes is considered by many to be the NFL's best quarterback. The point is, it is now commonplace and widely accepted that black quarterbacks are the equals in value and performance to white quarterbacks. In, in fact, in many cases, superior to white quarterbacks. That is accepted. That is commonplace. That's just the way it is. By the way, I fought for RG3 over Andrew Luck in that draft because I considered Andrew Luck a turnover machine in college football, and he became just the same in pro football. RG3 backed me up by winning Offensive Rookie of the Year and leading his Washington team to a division title in a, what I thought, commanding lead in a home playoff game until he tore up his knee and was never quite the same. I was all in on national TV for Cam going number one, Jameis, Kyler, all going number one. I was all in on all three of those. Not so much on Jamarcus Russell. I thought that was a big mistake by Al Davis, and I was right about that one. But I immediately, on the second day of the draft, said the Eagles just stole Jalen Hurts. Just stole him. I said immediately and forever he'll be better than Carson Wentz. Looks like I was right about that. Now back to Tom Brady. Never met Tom Brady. Never spoken to him on the phone. Never communicated with him electronically. In fact, in the beginning, I was a big Joe Montana fan in large part because I was very close to his coach, Bill Walsh, and his coordinator and quarterback coach, Paul Hackett. Early on, I did not buy into sixth-rounder Brady. Took me a while. I was there that night in Foxborough. Scene of the crime, the tuck rule robbery that actually launched the Patriots dynasty. That playoff game that they stole from a team I was covering at that point, the Oakland Raiders. I had obviously seen the ugliest 40-yard dash ever at the Combine. The shirtless, scrawny body picture of Tom Brady, worst ever at the Combine. How could that keep producing this? I kept asking myself, how could that keep producing this? I, it shook me up. Still shakes me up. Six times in New England, Tom Brady, of course, won Super Bowls. And all six times he won those Super Bowls with game-winning drives in the first, fourth quarter or overtime. All six times. There has never, ever, never, ever been a more clutch player in any sport, including Michael Jordan's sport and Michael Jordan, than Tom Brady has been. That's because Tom Brady has had so many more opportunities than Michael ever had. And Brady has delivered in so many big games, including 
AFC, NFC championship games. So many. Ugh. Remember Jacksonville at Foxborough? Remember against Mahomes in overtime at Kansas City? Three straight third and ten conversions? It's impossible. In overtime? So many Super Bowls. Obviously, Tom should have won the first Eli Super Bowl with a game-winning drive. He put them ahead with two minutes left. 17-14, to 14, Bill Belichick's defense, once again, let him down. Let Eli go 75 yards for the game-winning touchdown. They, they needed a touchdown, not a field goal. They got it, a touchdown. Obviously, Tom Brady threw for a playoff record, not, not a Super Bowl record, a playoff record, 505 yards against the Eagles, and Belichick's defense let him down again, gave up 41 points to the backup quarterback for the Eagles, Nick Foles. But I digress. Tom Brady is obviously the goat of goats. There's just never been anything quite like Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. And he continues to shatter every mold at age 45. Silly me. I believe he's got a great shot at winning an eighth Super Bowl at age 45. And as always, I'll say it again, as I say it again and again and again on Undisputed, He's the one man in sports I do not bet against. But he remains so hard to figure out and so difficult to explain. He confounds you. He shatters the molds in your head. He just doesn't look or act the part. I'm, I'm talking about the macho, tough guy movie star, leading man, superstar quarterback part, that part. Off the field, as you know, he shrinks back into, oh, shucks, gee whiz, Tom Brady. On social media, he, he can go corny to the point of just being flat out lame. Back to, to looking and acting the part, it, it's, it's that that drives Shannon Sharp and other Hall of Famers I know, drives them absolutely crazy. He just doesn't seem to be that guy that he is in the fourth quarters and overtimes of Super Bowls. Deep down, I believe they're thinking, how does that guy win seven Super Bowls? How does that guy still play at an elite level at age 45? It's, it's like to them, it's just not fair. It's, it's like he's found a way to play a game within the game that isn't really football. Shannon always tells me, he just doesn't get hit. Yeah, he does. He gets hit. But not a lot. But he does get hit. He's still playing football. Shannon says, well, he's overprotected by the refs. They all are. All the quarterbacks are. It's a quarterback's game. The more the stars stay upright, the bigger the ratings. It's as simple as that. Nobody wants to watch the Buccaneers with Blaine Gabbard at quarterback. So would you believe that just last year at age 44, Tom Brady graded the single best of any quarterback in the National Football League, according to Pro Football Focus? Would you believe that just before this season started, Tom Brady was voted by his peers, NFL players, as the best player in pro football? Tom Brady, the best player in the NFL, as voted upon by his peers. Just keep that in perspective, please. Yet, my man Shannon 
has tried to retire Tom Brady for six straight years on Undisputed. Starting day one, September 6, 2016. Time for Tom. Give it up. Go on home. Right out of the box. That's the first opinion I got from my man Shannon. Go on home like the rest of us had to in our later 30s. They all do. They all hit that wall. Either their body quits on them, gives up on them, gives out on them. Or, or their minds do. It's just too damned hard to play this violent game that requires so much intense study during the week. Brady still lives for it at age 45. Drives Shannon crazy. I, I sense enormous resentment among many Hall of Famers toward Tom Brady. That They don't hate him as a person, just as a quarterback, a 45-year-old quarterback. Hmm. So now Shannon has started up again early on, weeks one and two in the NFL season, on Undisputed, saying that he's seeing Brady in decline. I'm sorry, I, I don't see any decline, not any at all. Against New Orleans, I, I saw Tom Brady having to throw a team-high eight passes to little Scotty Miller who I thought was going to get cut during the preseason, going to get cut. That's how bad it's gotten for Tom, obviously, with no Julio, with no Godwin, and obviously there's no Gronk. It seems like more and more he's going to stay retired. So he's out there, Tom Brady, against the team that has been his nemesis, his kryptonite, a defense that has owned him all four previous times that New Orleans had played Tampa since Tom joined the Buccaneers, all four times. And Tom's out there competing at New Orleans in, in week two, you spell it W-E-A-K-2 for the Buccaneers' sake, and he's down to his third-string left tackle, his blindside protector. He's got a rookie left guard, and he's got a center who is playing in his third-ever game at center in the National Football League, or actually in his life. So he, he's throwing passes to Russell Gage, the newcomer from Atlanta that they picked up, and that was six targets, and then four more targets to Rashad Perriman, who, who's just a backup, and it seems like he has little to no chemistry with Tom Brady. So, obviously, Brady's He's losing it, man. He's, he's starting to go out of his mind in frustration. But what did he do late in the game? Seven and a half minutes left. He throws a touchdown pass all the way across the field, a frozen rope, a golden rope, to Perriman. Back of the end zone. Breaks open a 3-3 tie. And all of a sudden, the roof fell in on Jameis Winston. But once again, Tom Brady was so clutch. But just before then... Frustration's boiling over, as we've seen again and again from Brady. He tossed his helmet, then he threw the tablet into the turf. And obviously, he throws a ball up the sideline, deep ball, to little Scotty Miller. And Marshawn Lattimore, one of the best corners in the game, is covering little Scotty because he's wide receiver one for Tom Brady. 
And it's, it's clear pass interference. Marshawn just rides him right out of bounds. Little Scotty's like 5'9", 175 pounds. Rides him right out of bounds. No flag, no call. And Tom Brady takes off running. He might have run the fastest 40 of his life all the way to the referee who failed to pull his yellow flag and throw it. He gets in his face. Marshawn Lattimore says something to Brady. Brady gets in his face. I'm sure F-bombs are flying back and forth. And all of a sudden it sets off, as we all know, the fracas. So Shannon's new narrative to me on Undisputed is that Brady's marital issues at home are starting to affect his performance on the field and and his behavior on the field. And I'm sorry, I, I just don't believe that and I don't see that. I mean, it's predictable now that Giselle, his wife obviously, is not happy with his decision to unretire. And reportedly, they're now living apart, at least for now. I've discussed this issue several times on this podcast and you know, I think, how I feel about that. But I remind you, Giselle has been upset with Tom playing football for at least the last five years, and she has voiced her frustrations with him. Too many concussions, too many this, too many that. I need more time with you and the kids. Kids are getting older. On and on and on. But this has been going on for five years. This is nothing new. So, the frustration is boiling over because... It's mostly for Tom, he, he, he's, he's looking around at New Orleans against their arch rival within the division, the team that has his number. And the reason he's so frustrated is because he's thinking, wait, I unretired to throw deep balls to little Scotty Miller to get protected on my blind side by my third string left tackle. He's out of his mind over that. I'm, I'm sure he's upset with what's going on at home, but I don't think he takes that to work with him. That's just me. So I told Shannon on television, you are missing the point. Brady's emotions have been boiling over on football fields since, I, I don't know, since 2007, maybe 2004, 5, and 6. All I know is that in 2007 on national TV, I was on ESPN then, I nicknamed Tom Brady on the field Psycho Tom. Because he has an alter ego. He has a split personality. It rears its ugly head, its crazed head, during football games. And it's very real. It's not for show. It's not acting. It's not playing to the cameras. He just loses it. I'm talking about genuinely, authentically loses it. He boils over with competitive rage, and it is not a pretty sight. Most glaring early example of this... You might remember a game in 2007 as they're heading toward an undefeated season. The Patriots in Foxborough hosted the Pittsburgh Steelers. And a few days before that game, a young safety for the Steelers named Anthony Smith, he's in his second year, third rounder out of Syracuse, dared to guarantee a victory over Tom Brady and company in Foxborough. What's Brady do early on in that game? He goes deep to Randy Moss for a touchdown over poor Anthony Smith. And Tom Brady ran all the way to the end zone. Never seen anything like this in my career. Ran all the way to the end zone to get in poor Anthony Smith's face to tell him how wrong he was about his guarantee. 
I had never, ever seen any quarterback do anything of that sort. But that's Tom Brady. I mean, Anthony Smith got demoted after that game. He wasn't worth Brady's ire, but that's Brady. And by the way, that's Jordan-esque. I'll get to that more in a moment. 2011, on the bench, Tom Brady lost it. Just lashed out verbally at Taekwon Underwood, who had failed to fight for a football that Brady had thrown him in the back of the end zone and it got intercepted. He went off on Taekwon Underwood. Then he went off on Bill O'Brien, just the way he's gone off many times on Josh McDaniels. Game days, Psycho Tom's been coming out for, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years. Remember the Super Bowl, his first in Tampa against the Chiefs? Brady got in a shouting match on the field after a play with Honey Badger. I mean, I think Honey Badger's a good guy. Pretty mild-mannered. We've had him on the show. Love him. A shouting match. Tom Brady and Honey Badger in a shouting match. Never seen anything like it. And soon after, Brady calls an option route to Antonio Brown on, of course, Honey Badger. And they beat him for a touchdown. Honey Badger beat him for a touchdown. That's Jordan-esque. And that is Tom Brady. Psycho Tom is the living, breathing, seething manifestation of his competitive rage. You see it come out in so many ways. Before the game, he's running up down the field. Let's go! It's, it's not for show. It's real. Helmet butting. He used to helmet butt Gronk. Now, I don't know. Somebody, he, he, he just goes a little nuts on the field. It's completely real. And guess what? I have never, ever heard a single teammate say they have any problem with any of the above. Not a single one. I have worked with many of Brady's ex-teammates, many who know him, many, many. Trust me, on the record, off the record, I have never heard a peep of criticism from any of those players about Brady. Not a peep. Not a single word. Not once. I, I'm as, as God is my witness, not once. I tell you if I had heard, but I've heard not anything. The ultimate validation came from James Harrison, was a contributor to Undisputed. You might remember he signed on with New England late in the 2017 season, wound up going to the Super Bowl with them, the one that they lost to the Eagles. But he said on TV, on Undisputed, that, hey, I went in with my antenna raised. I'm going to check out this Brady. James Harrison's a tough guy, as tough as they ever came. Now a Hall of Fame candidate. No nonsense, no BS. His BS detector was on high alert as he got to hang around Tom Brady behind closed doors in the locker room. You know what he said on Undisputed? 1,000% real. 100% legit. James Harrison sold on Tom Brady as real, as real. So just keep that in mind. His tablet throwing and his fit throwing is, is not, it, it's not about him. It's, it's not to enhance or promote his brand. 
It's just about winning, pure and simple. It's about driving and inspiring his teammates. It's Jordan-esque. But in this case, unlike with Michael Jordan, get to that in just a moment, I'm pretty sure all of Brady's teammates have loved the way he behaves on the field. They might think it's a little crazy, but they love it. I think it inspires all of them. They, they know that Psycho Tom is, is Brady's rocket fuel. I mean, what quarterback would have run 40 yards down the field to get into it with Marshawn Lattimore with the game tied three all early in the fourth quarter? No quarterback would have done that. Name, name somebody. I can just tell you no other quarterback would have ever done that. And as you know, here came Mike Evans flying in to shove down Lattimore. They have bad blood. But as Mike turned to the referee and said, come on, that's Tom Brady. You can see him mouthed on TV, on the video. That's Tom Brady flying into Brady's defense. He'd run through a wall for Tom Brady. He's the first, wait, after he got ejected, after they won the game, he's standing in the tunnel, first guy to hug Tom Brady, Mike Evans. Loves the guy. Die for the guy. So, I have two takeaways here. Number one, that the, the short-term loss here is a long-term gain for Brady. Obviously, Mike Evans got suspended. Now they're up against it against Green Bay, a top-10 defense in Tampa Bay. But that psycho Tom behavior and, and Mike Evans' response to it is in the end why Brady's won all those Super Bowls. He changed the culture of what used to be called the sucking ears almost overnight during a pandemic. I've never seen anything like it before. He instilled the Patriot way in Tampa Bay. It, it's why I proclaim Tom Brady the greatest leader in the history of sports. That team is united around him. As crazy as behavior gets, they believe in him. And they're utterly, utterly behind him in every way, shape, and form. And my other takeaway is that, remember, I didn't start noticing the psycho Tom behavior until after Brady had won three Super Bowls, three, in New England, because for the first three he was pretty much on his best behavior, certainly during games, and he would defer because they had so many veteran leaders, as you recall. It's Brewski and it's Vrabel, it's Rodney Harrison, it's Todd Law, it's Willie McGinnis, it's Vince Wilfork. They were all elder statesmen. They were the senior leaders on that team, not Brady. But once he won three, here he came. Tom Brady has big cachet, the biggest cachet ever. And that's before he started letting his emotions just boil over during games. So how have I responded on TV to Brady's psycho Tom behavior? I have never, ever defended it one second. I don't defend it, but I have accepted it. It's, it's because this is a part, it's a big part of who he is and why he's all-time successful. But as I always say, kids, don't try this at home. In this way, Tom Brady is a horrible role model, horrible. This just works for him. I can't defend it, but I certainly can't def condemn it.
the truth is Tom Brady still has a lot of little kid in him. It's, it's why he's playing a kid's game at age 45. He's going to throw tantrums. He's going to throw some tablets. Especially when his primary target at New Orleans is little Scotty Miller. But did he let his emotions run away with him and get the best of him at New Orleans last Sunday? Did he come unglued? Did he throw three interceptions in the fourth quarter the way Jameis did? Nope. He focused. He channeled. He made the one throw that broke open the game with 7.41 left in the fourth quarter. Now back to Cam and Lamar. First Cam. When he was on his way to winning an MVP and obviously on his way to a Super Bowl, I, I thought the national media was extremely accepting across the board of his showboating and his Superman celebrating and his dabbing. I, I never sensed any backlash from white America, you know, any of this Oh, this black quarterback is ruining our game. I, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. Maybe I'm na naive here. Maybe I'm wearing rose-colored glasses. Maybe I'm just going straight Pollyanna. But I didn't sense that. I, I'm a Cam fan. I think a lot of people became Cam fans. I'm sure there was some of that out there, but I, it, I just didn't feel like it was prevalent. And it's because Cam was dominating the league. He was winning. He was going on his way to a Super Bowl. He didn't win the Super Bowl. He didn't play well because Von Miller just took it over. But the only discouraging word I heard the whole season was that there was a white woman sitting in the stands in Nashville at a Titans game against, obviously, Carolina. She wrote a letter to the editor of the Nashville Tennessean about how upset she got because her daughter was with her and the celebrating by all the Panthers, especially Cam, seemed to ignite the Tennessee fans around her, I'm sorry, the uh, Panther fans around her in, at Tennessee Stadium in Nashville, and that they got unruly and her daughter was upset, but she, she ended up apologizing, said she overreacted to it. That's the only tiny little peep of criticism I heard that year. If, if Cam had kept winning, if he had won that Super Bowl and maybe, in, who knows, another one or two all of his antics would have become more and more beloved. Cam Newton is, is not a good, he is a great showman, a gifted showman, highly, highly entertaining. But we all know what started to happen. Once Cam wound up last season, having to go back to lowly Carolina for one last sad hurrah, and he ran all the way out to the logo, to celebrate a touchdown that he'd scored at home, did his Superman celebration, screamed, I'm back. Well, once it got to that point, it just got sad. Now, even more sadly, it appears his career is over. I don't know that for a fact, but it appears it's over for him at age 33. But what a run he did have. In contrast, I remind you, Brady's 45 years old, and it, and it seems to me like he's better than ever with a great shot at winning a Super Bowl. And, and the irony here is, speaking of Shannon Sharp, that 
I'm the one on Undisputed who has always defended Cam, and we're about to get to Lamar, and defended Lamar for their ability to throw the football. I thought Cam threw it plenty well enough, obviously, to win an MVP and could have won a Super Bowl. I think Lamar is an underrated thrower of the football. Shannon's never liked either one of them and has said repeatedly on live national TV that their ceilings are lower because they just don't consistently throw the ball accurately enough. That's Cam, and that's Lamar, and that's from Shannon Sharp. I'm the one who's fought back. No, Shannon, I think they do. Maybe not great throwers of the football, but certainly good enough. I love Lamar Jackson. I've defended Lamar Jackson, often on Undisputed. He's an underrated dart thrower to me. And he's got a nice arm with the deep ball, as we saw last Sunday. High football character. We're, we're talking about gamer. We're talking about baller. We're talking about clutch playmaker. Obviously the most electrifying broken field runner in the game. But the, the point about Lamar is he has no showboat in him whatsoever that I can see. There's no show-off in him whatsoever. That's just not him. Yeah, if if he started throwing tablets and tantrums, I'm sure there's a segment of the white media, white Twitter, whatever you want to talk, I'm sure they would come down harder on him because of his skin color. I, I cannot fight back on that and won't fight back on that. I give in to that. But the point is, he doesn't do that. And the largest point of all is that despite his MVP, that Lamar has been able to win only one playoff game in four years. He's one and three in the postseason. So far, so bad. It's just not good enough yet. I can't defend that part of it. I, I like his chances. And I hope he gets paid. He deserves it. He's earned it. But in the end, all I know about Lamar Jackson is, in contrast to Tom Brady, He's actually a much better role model than Tom Brady. Much better. Kids do do this at home. This is the one you should pattern yourself after. Lamar Jackson, not Tom Brady. I can't defend any of Brady's misbehavior. Now let's go with Brady a little bit off the field. This is where people get thrown by Tom Brady. People see no psycho Tom off the field at all because there is none. It's split personality. It's alter ego. So it's extremely difficult for people to comprehend that aw shucks gee whiz Tommy off the field, that corny dad next door off the field, can boil over emotionally on the field and go completely crazy. Off the field, he just doesn't seem capable of of any of the above. He's basically such a nice guy off the field. He's actually a boring guy off the field, but, but he's such a nice guy that, that he's, he sometimes gets the nice guy pass on the field that he does not deserve. You got me there. So in conclusion, just to put this in the highest, loftiest perspective, I did have the honor and privilege in Chicago in 1998 to be around, to get to know Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I loved him in part because he liked me, but 
as you know from the Last Dance documentary, Michael often was not a nice guy. He drove his teammates much harder than even Brady drives his, much more harshly with verbal abuse, much more humiliating verbal abuse. And some of Michael's teammates, as you know from the documentary, just did not love it, and I don't blame them. But those Bulls teammates were in awe of Michael Jordan. They, they were in fear of Michael Jordan, and he motivated them by that fear. I mean, as we know from the book The Jordan Rules by Sam Smith, in, in practice, he punched Steve Kerr in the mouth, and then he punched Will Perdue from high school Vanderbilt, punched him right in the face in practice, okay? That's, that's that guy. That's Michael Jordan. Worked for him. Did he get a pass for that? Yep, he did. You know why? Because when he finally broke three, he won six championships with six finals MVPs. To me, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, two greatest winners ever in sports. Two greatest. And by the way, two of the hardest workers ever. Don't, don't underestimate that. But because they won and won and won some more, they got away with not a role model behavior. Yet they won because of that behavior, that rage to win. Does skin color play a role here? You know and I know it does because it always plays some role. But in the end, to me, silly me, it's mostly about championships. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Bayless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Bayless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Bayless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get to your questions, shall we? Donnie from Detroit asks, Hmm, how did you react to Ernestine's behind-the-scenes video of walking by your office last Sunday? Uh, Donnie from Detroit, not until I read this question was I even aware of said video or that my wife posted said video on her Instagram account. Hey, it's Ernestine, happy football Sunday. So I'm about to go into the kitchen, but before I do, I'm a little cautious in case I hear screaming or yelling, I'm not going to proceed because the door next to the kitchen is where Skip is watching Bucks and about four other games or five other games. And later it's Dallas, then it's Carolina and so on and so on. I think there's about a hundred games today average football Sunday. 
Um, I hope his team wins, all of his teams, for my sake and for his sake. And I hope your team wins. Have a great Sunday. Talk to you soon. Bye. So, last night, I asked her. I confronted her. I said, exactly what happened when you approached my door during the games last Sunday? And she said, nothing. Nothing. It was quiet. Look, I'm a little paranoid here because I will be the first to admit I have a split personality, especially during games. It's psycho skip. I, and I'm not exaggerating one bit. I've got my alter ego, psycho skip. I am extremely capable of completely losing it during games that I picked on Undisputed that I watched by myself in my room, which is sort of an office slash bedroom, because remember, I get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, so I don't sleep in the big bedroom with Ernestine on weeknights because I don't want to inflict that upon her at 2 a.m., so I just stay by myself, especially while I'm watching my games on a Sunday. I'm not proud of my behavior. And I'm not real keen on allowing the outside world to see said behavior. So I tell Ernestine, just leave me be. I'm not going to inflict this upon you. If Hazel wants to come in, Hazel can come in. And I, it, it's the darndest thing, but my little Maltese Hazel, all 10 pounds of her, nearing six years of age, is not disturbed at all by my behavior behind closed doors in my little, whatever you want to call it, my safe haven, my not-so-holy sanctuary. When Graham Gano made that 56-yard field goal the other day to beat my man Baker, I screamed some words I am not proud of. I'm talking screamed the words out. When my Dallas Cowboy Dalton Schultz fumbled the ball away against Cincinnati, only turnover in that game, I was convinced at that moment the game had been lost to Joe Burrow and company, and I screamed bloody murder. Incredibly, Hazel completely in phase. She just kind of cocks an eye up at me and she thinks I'm crazy already and she goes back to sleep. But trust me on this, screaming bad words, really bad words, that hyphenated word, it just, it just helps me cope better. It, it just gets it out of my system. It's, it, it's the way I let the steam out. Remember, my pride, my reputation are on the line. Pick these games on TV against that guy, Shannon Sharp, Hall of Famer, Shannon Sharp. And I honestly pity my wife on NFL Sundays. So my only communication with her is she'll text me if the Cowboys win. She sort of follows it, I don't know, on her phone. She doesn't watch, but she follows it. She'll text me, congrats, and give me a big thumbs up if the Cowboys win which, as you know, doesn't seem to happen all that often. Otherwise, I really don't want my wife outing Psycho Skip with some outside-my-door audio-video post to her IG account. I love you, Ernestine, but please, please let me be. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm going to give you two more of your questions and then answer both at once. This is Kyle from Ohio. Are you ready to vote your guy Cooper Rush into the Hall of Fame? Ha ha ha. And Ron from New York asks, more realistically, if Cooper Rush wins another game, would you want him to remain a quarterback when Dak is healthy? Now, that's a good question. I told you last week, I believe in Cooper Rush. And by the way, he's a two-name quarterback because if I call him Rush, it just doesn't sound right to me. He's not just Rush. And then I try Cooper. He's not a Cooper. He's a Cooper Rush, right? Every reference on Undisputed by me is Cooper Rush, Cooper Rush. I'll be the first to admit, and I want to make this very clear, he does not have a better arm than Dak Prescott. He is not more mobile than Dak Prescott. This is all I know about Cooper Robert Rush, the Red Rocket. He does play with a fearless poise and a clutch command of that Cowboy offense that sputtered so painfully on opening night against the GOAT. All I know is that last year, Halloween night at Minnesota, Sunday night TV, live on NBC, Cooper Rush threw a touchdown pass with 55 seconds left to beat Kirk Cousins and the Vikings 20-16. to 16. He did that. And last Sunday, as you well know, against the team I picked to win the AFC, team that nearly won the Super Bowl, Cincinnati Bengals, Cooper Rush, Completed three straight passes in the final minute to set up a game-winning field goal from 50 yards. So, all I know for sure about Cooper Rush is he has performed a lot better in his two starts than Dak has performed in his last 12 games, in which he's 6-6, six and six, having lost all six games to what you would call good teams. The offense just looked and felt different to me this past Sunday. It, it just had a different flow, a different rhythm, urgency, confidence, spark. I don't know what it was. It just looked different. All I know is the best quote-unquote problem as a lifelong diehard Cowboy fan that I could have would be Cooper Rush playing just well enough to win at the Giants and at home against Washington and then Dak being completely cleared Ready for takeoff for the October 9th game out here against the Rams in Los Angeles. This would be my fondest dream. Jerry Jones having to call an emergency staff meeting with his coaches to decide if they wanted to go back to Dak or stick with Cooper Rush. That would mean my team was 3-1 and one at that point. That would mean at the very least a new fire would be lit under Dak Prescott, even if he was allowed to come right back in 
and have his job back, he would then have to perform at a high level to keep said job. Music to ears. Look, I am not predicting that the Cowboys will beat the Giants or even the Commanders. I can't even call them that. The Commanders. I have vowed on Undisputed. I will not pick the Cowboys again to win a single game the rest of this year because I'm not going to jinx them again as I did on opening night. But if Cooper Rush happened to play well at Giants and happened to play well against Washington and the offense continued to look different, I do believe that Jerry Jones would not hesitate to continue on with the hot hand because I once watched with my own two eyes Jimmy Johnson with some guidance from Jerry Jones, at least some sign-off. I watched Jimmy Johnson in 1991 do just that. Troy Aikman sprained his knee in a game at Washington. The backup quarterback, Steve Berline, was once a fourth-round pick out of Notre Dame, you might remember. He had, by the way, started 15 games for the Oakland Raiders. But I watched Steve Berline come in and pick right up where Troy had left off, got that game home in Washington, and then Steve Berline played pretty well against Pittsburgh, and then New Orleans, and then at Philly. That was a tough game. He played really well at Philly, and then against Atlanta. And would you believe the Cowboys just kept winning all those games? Not once did Steve Berline throw for more than 200 yards in any game he started for the Cowboys that year. Remember, Cooper Rush threw for 325 at Minnesota on Halloween night a year ago, 235 against the Cincinnati defense the other night at Jerry World. But Steve Berline under 200 for all of his games. But Jimmy obviously liked the way he was operating the offense. And even though Troy was ready to go for the playoff game, ready to go, I know it for a fact, the playoff game up in Chicago against Mike Ditka's Bears, Jimmy Johnson stuck with Steve Berline, the hot hand. Troy was furious, and Troy should have been furious. But would you believe the Cowboys squeaked out a 17-13 upset? Steve Berline's numbers, 9-18 of 18 for a 180 in that game. But Emmett, as in the great Emmett Smith, ran for 105. That was that. So on the Cowboys went to a second playoff game against Detroit. Barry Sanders, Detroit, at Detroit. And Jimmy stuck with the hot hand to the bitter end. He went with Steve Berline. Unfortunately, the Dallas defense got blown off the field that day, not by Barry Sanders, but by Eric Kramer, who I, I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback any hotter than Eric Kramer was that day, 341 yards, and it was 38-6 to Detroit. And that was the end of that story. But I'll tell you what, Cooper Rush is a little better passer, a little more mobile, than Steve Berline was. But Berline, like Berline, Cooper is not afraid. That's what I like the most about him. I, I don't think he'll embarrass me in, in any of these upcoming games, however many more he plays. I just don't think he'll embarrass me. I'll say that and leave it at that. As you remember, painfully on opening night, as Dallas was losing to the Bucks, lost Dak to the broken thumb. And yet, 
Here we went again with Dak losing and playing lousy while losing to a good team. Look back at the last 12 games Dak's played, dating back to last year. Six good teams, six bad teams. Lost all six to the good teams. You remember the games. Denver at home, then at Kansas City against Mahomes. Raiders at home on Thanksgiving. Arizona and Kyler at home. And then the 49ers, of course, at home in the playoff game. And then opening night against Brady and the Bucks. It was 19-3. to Three? three? Dak, you, you got to give me more than three. In those six losses to good teams, Dak Prescott has completed a grand total of 59% of his passes. That will not work. Eight touchdowns to five interceptions. QBR, this is scaled zero to 100. Average QBR in those six losses to good teams, 35. Trust me, horrible, will not work. But last year down the stretch, Dak did get the feast on the sorry Falcons. Then the pretty good Saints at New Orleans, but they had Taysom Hill at quarterback. Then the sorry Commanders twice. Then the sorry Giants once. And then the Eagles playing their practice squad in Philadelphia and Dak threw five touchdown passes that night. I'm sorry. Try as I might, I cannot defend Dak over the last 12 games. As I've said many times, he, he alternates for me between playing like a fourth overall pick and then reverting back to the fourth rounder that he actually was. And to me, this is just me, but he seems increasingly thin-skinned and insecure and just overwhelmed by the pressure of trying to live up to the enormous contract that Jerry finally folded and was forced to give him. Made $75 million in the first year of the deal, which was last year. He took Jerry to the cleaners, then he took him to the bank. And yet, I've frankly been horrified by Dak's play ever since he got his money. I've been troubled by the way the team fails to respond to his leadership. Something just doesn't feel right to me about Dak Prescott. I thought maybe he'd flip the switch this year, but opening night, three points? It's hard to watch. Why can't Dak develop a little better chemistry with C.D. Lamb? Is it C.D.'s fault or is, is Dak starting to be threatened? C.D.'s become national media's darling Cowboys breakout player at receiver. Is there some threat there to Dak? Is Dak a little shook up, a little paranoid about the emergence of Micah Parsons? 11 from heaven, my oh Micah. Also, new darling of the national media, Dak Worried he might lose some of his national TV commercials? I, I wonder about that, and I believe Jerry Jones is wondering too. And I was dumbfounded and incredibly intrigued that after that opening night loss and losing Dak, Jerry wondered out loud about a 2016 scenario. What? He said this. He, he wondered out loud. He said, not that I'm predicting this, but he went on to say, wouldn't it be interesting if this year repeated itself the way 2016 did when, as you might recall, Tony Romo went down in the third preseason game, was lost for a big chunk of the season, and this fourth-round rookie out of Mississippi State was forced into the fire, all seemed lost, and here came Dak Prescott with a whole lot of help from his fellow rookie, Ezekiel Elliott, who was on a rampage, led the league in rushing that year, 108 a game. 
with the way being paved by not one or two, but three potential Hall of Famers in the offensive line, all in their primes. That team barely lost its opener to Eli's Giants, and then it just took off. And after it won eight in a row, including the game at Pittsburgh, Tony Romo in the locker room basically said no moss and told Stephen Jones, Jerry's son, the sort of the assistant owner GM, that Tony said, I, I see the handwriting on the locker room wall. This is at Pittsburgh. This is Dak's team. They'd just beaten the Steelers 35-30. to 30. Tony Romo conceded the job to Dak Prescott. So on opening night this year, after the game, no more Dak for a while, Jerry actually referred to what happened in 2016, November 13, 2016. That was that game at Pittsburgh. And Jerry said, wouldn't it be something if Dak came back healthy at some point and we actually had a decision to make? That's what Jerry said. What if we had a decision to make? Obviously referring to Cooper Rush. At that point, Jerry had only seen Cooper Rush at Minnesota, but now he's seen him against Cincinnati. When I read that quote on Monday morning, it gave me goosebumps. Was this just crazy old coop talk from Jerry? Or was this Jerry planting a seed? I'm sure I'm probably getting ahead of myself here. The odd scream that Cooper Rush will turn back into the undrafted free agent that he was out of Central Michigan. I mean, it would be impossible for Cooper Rush to lead this team to the playoffs, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? The truth is, the truth is, Cooper Rush's two starts have been breaths of fresh air for this lifelong diehard Cowboy fan. And last Sunday, I'm just telling you the truth, I did not miss Dak Prescott. Back to your questions. Back to Hal from Oregon. Do you ever listen to music when you work out? Hal, I do, but only when I lift weights. When I'm on the treadmill or the upright exercise bike, as I occasionally use, I only watch sports or watch movies. When I lift weights, I sometimes watch games, but I often listen to music, music that gets my blood pumping. And by the way, when I run outside, I listen to nothing because I think you can't. It's just too dangerous. It's getting more and more dangerous here in L.A. to run outside. That's a whole other story. But you better not listen to anything but what car is coming from what direction. Speaking of cars, as you know, I, I do love me some Lil Wayne and some Nelly, but that's car music for me. And because I grew up on 60s and 70s music, I do also love me some Smokey Robinson. Smokey and the Miracles, Tears of a Clown, You've Really Got a Hold on Me, Cruisin', my all-time favorite. But that's car music for me. For me, blood-pumping music 
is is what I basically grew up on, and that's 60s and 70s rock and roll. I'm talking Rolling Stones, favorite song is Gimme Shelter. I'm talking The Rascals, favorite song, Come On Up. If you haven't heard it, you gotta hear it. I'm talking Paul Revere and the Raiders, favorite song is Hungry. I'm talking In Excess, favorite song is Need You Tonight. What a song. And I'm going to admit this publicly, when really in doubt, I reach for the Go-Go's. I will admit that publicly. Favorite song, How Much More. But I got lots of favorites from the Go-Go's. I'm here to tell you that at the Olympics that I covered out here in Los Angeles in 1984, I saw the Go-Go's live. I saw them put on one of the greatest concerts I have ever attended. This was at the Hollywood Bowl. Could those girls ever rock your socks off? I think it's the tightest band live I ever heard. They expended more energy that night than anyone this side of James Brown. So if, if I'm feeling couch potato, if I got to get for lifting, give me the Go-Go's. I'll admit it. And let's take one last question. Guillermo from San Antonio. I love San Antonio. How does your Sunday routine change when the Cowboys play on Monday night? That is a good question. For me, a Sunday without the Cowboys just feels empty. It, it just feels wrong. Look, as you know, I love watching Brady and Rodgers and Holmes and Lamar. And yeah, I even love watching Baker Mayfield. I love it all. I can watch any NFL game and be highly entertained. But it's just not the same on a Sunday, on a Sunday, without my Dallas Cowboys. Cowboy games, to me, are like LeBron games. Something amazing always happens. Something great or something bad. Something crazy. Something, something always happens. LeBron James is the most interesting man in sports. And the Cowboys he loves are the most interesting team in sports. They always have been and they always will be. So the truth is, Guillermo, I can't wait for Monday night. That's it for episode 34. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Jonathan Berger and his all-pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. Please remember Undisputed every weekday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, The Skip Bayless Show, every week.